Kia ora and welcome to the Take Your Meds podcast. I'm your host, Gemma Rose. I'm a trauma recovery coach and founder of No New Things and Ritual, my online programs that transform your inner world. Season two of the podcast is all about the new paradigm of leadership. I've called in some pretty extraordinary millennials to chat this through esoteric, philosophical, spiritual, indigenous, and creative lenses to shift your mindset. Let's go. and welcome back to the Take Your Meds podcast. I'm so excited to be here today. This is a very special episode and it's not like the others. I've got two guests today, Pete Butler and Tanya Hahn, and we're sitting down together today to talk about something a little bit different. Uh, We are diving into the new paradigm of leadership, but this time we're going to take a look at it through the lens of well-being in communities, systems change, and the role uh, of leadership and governance in the changing landscape. So welcome. If that uh, brings some excitement into your body, then keep listening, because this is going to be so juicy. Um, So thanks, everyone, for tuning in. And thank you, Pete and Tanya, for being here. I'm going to hand over to you. uh, First, Pete, CoreYO. Would you like to share a little bit about your background, your skills, and your experience? Ah, tēnā koe, Gemma, and uh, mihi hoki i a koe, Tānia. Uh, ko waiau, um, uh, ko tongo reiro te maunga, ko taupua nui a te te moana, ko te hihi te tangata, ki te taha tōpe nei māma, ko nāti hini me nāti waiwai ona hapu, ki te taha tōpe nei pāpa, ko nāti whititama me nāti tūrangi tukua ona hapu. He honanga hoki au o nā iwi o nāti kauwhata, nāti pāua me naitai, uh, he hono hoki au ki te iwi o wirihi. Um, so my name is Peter Butler. I um, of Māori descent, but also Welsh. And um, yeah, what I do, is that what you're asking me? What do I do? Okay. So I currently, um, well, when I say current, I've been working in the same organisation for 36 years. So um, I look after the Highbury Whānau Centre. So I'm the kaihotu of the Highbury Whānau Centre. Uh, we, um, and Juventus Limited, um, it's a youth development organisation that was seeded in the Highbury community in the early 80s, born on the back of uh, a community development project um, that was seeded through, um, uh, what was it, Māngai Whāngai, uh, Māng, uh, so a Department of Social Welfare initiative within Māori communities in the 80s, uh, as a response to the, the reactive response of the needs of rangatahi and the hapuri of those days. Back then, glue sniffing, truancy, was havoc and a community group formed from by a group of parents and yeah 36 years down the track we have four sites across the city doing a range of alternative uh responses to the impacts of colonization in our community so um we run alternative education, um, counseling, social services with a specific youth development uh, realm and Oranga Tamariki, we do transition, so assist young people moving out of the state into back into Hapuri into community, and in with Fano, and we also help young people navigate the 
youth benefit system. So a range of services uh, within the realm of youth development. So um, yeah, and currently lead a team of 36 uh, practitioners and, and professionals um, that range from teachers through to psychologists, uh, counsellors, and youth workers and social workers. So um, I've got a great team. I've got a uh, work with awesome people uh, and inspiring Rangatahi for the future. So that's me. Nami. Kia ora. Thank you, Pete and Tanya. Tēnā koutou katoa, um, ni hao, um, he mihi nui, he mihi mahana kia koutou katoa, uh, ko hainga, ko marihea ngā whenua, oku tūpuna, um, i whānau ahau i marihea, i tipu ake ahau ki um, ahitere raki i ngarangi, um, ko tāngihan ahau, um, tēnā tātou katoa. Um, so I'm Tanya Han, um, I just did my pēpe. Uh, um, in Te Reo Māori as a, an acknowledgement to my adopted homeland of Aotearoa, but you might also have noticed that I said Nihau um, in the introduction as well because I come from a long line of Chinese um, ancestry, but also a long line of immigration and I've been really fortunate to have lived in um, many countries. So I grew up in Australia. Um, I then moved around the world. I lived in the UK and I moved to Aotearoa three years ago. Um, so that's kind of, you know, the journey that I've been on um, as a serial immigrant, a person of colour, um, always part of a minority, um, but also... Um, a woman in this space that we, in this world that we live in. Um, and for work, um, I spent the first 13 years of my career in the private sector. Um, I had a bit of a crisis of conscience and realized that I didn't want to work in the private sector anymore. I was in quite an extractive industry, specifically in banking and financial services. Um, and I pivoted my career into the impact sector. So I worked for the National Health Service in the UK for a little while in an innovation team. Um, and I worked in the civil, civil sector. So I worked um, for a charity, working with other community organizations to develop their strategy and measure and manage their impact and also communicate that impact. Um, and I had a stint in central government here in Aotearoa working in, in strategy and change um, as well. Um, so slightly, uh, slightly uh, more winding path than what Pete, um, you've been through. I haven't, um, I haven't had the, um, the privilege and the um, experience of being in doing the specific type of mahi and being in an organization for as long as you have. Um, it has given me a lot of variety of experiences and um, it's just given me a lot of diversity in my thinking um, and I've been very privileged um, to experience all these different sectors and bring it to my current practice. So I'm currently working as a freelance impact consultant. Uh, what does that mean? I just Essentially, it means that I work with organizations and people to do whatever they need to get done, but 
the common ground there is that they are impact-led organizations. So they're not just for profit um, and they have a social mission or a social purpose behind what they do. Kia ora. Kia ora, Tanya. Thank you so much to the both of you for giving us a bit of a window into where you've come from. Um, and where you are now, it feels like a really great foundation to be having this conversation from and from your worldviews, if you had any reflections on uh, that, that ongoing stress response in the midst of trying to get your basic needs met, what have you seen? The unfortunate thing that I see is people are consistently within a wheel of survival mode. You know, um, when chaos is going on, the intrinsic value, especially mamas, that's why I'm, I, I honour a mama. You know, like they are just the most powerful super being in the world because they have to do so much around caring for a child, keeping the household connected, organised, and potentially run run the ship, basically. So. Um, and in saying that, I forgot to shout out to my wife, who's a mama, and my son, um, and acknowledge those mamas. But the reality is, is that um, Fano are, you know, consistently in survival mode and struggling. And then when you've got a whole bunch of government agencies coming at you, holy heck, just the chaos. And you know, then we talk about, you know, the explosion of mental health issues and and stresses in life. I'm like, I don't know how. Um, uh, women um, who are running households and bringing children into the world can actually do it. Like, that's that's super people. They wear S's on their chest, for sure. So, yeah, I, I don't know how we survive, how we get through that. Hopefully, this process can flip something up or change some. Hopefully, changes the government systems and move the power and the resource base away from. Uh, bureaucratic, institutionalised silos to whānau, hapuri, to be able to control their own destiny. That's what I'm looking for. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I hear you. And the, the dignity from choice, you know, if, if it's filling out five different forms to even get to a conversation about resource, um, I mean, where is the mana in that? And then that that resource can only be spent on X, Y, and Z, you know, as self-determining human beings, what would it look like to be able to recover from that stress and that trauma and those, those difficult life experiences um, with the radical belief that you know what's best for you. So if you spend that money um, in Wananga or in community, or if you want to spend that money with a a health practitioner or whatever, you know, you get to decide because you know what's best for you. And I think that's something that really excites me because there's no cookie cutter approach. We're all unique and, and we all know what is true, good and right for us if we're given that space. So yeah, Tanya, what are your thoughts? Well, I think it's really interesting. Um, I think, you know, we've talked a lot about some of the other kind of trauma, you know, we're talking, we're working in a space here of um, huge, so it's unequal. So we have an unequal society where you've got huge concentrations of income and wealth um, concentrated at 
you know very specific you know in a very specific demographic and then um the rest of you know or a large proportion of people at the other end and lots of people also somewhere in the middle it's also a lot of inequity um and that's you know that comes from a history of um colonization intergenerational trauma um but also continued i wouldn't even call that like marginalization but continued oppression like intentional oppression um and maybe sometimes it doesn't feel like intentional oppression but it is you know just through systemic um factors you know those things are still continuing. so we're still seeing that um and i feel like sometimes we're not really having the conversation we're not we're shying away from and i'm not talking about the three of us or the groups that we're in but i feel like the conversation hasn't quite hit the mainstream yet even though it is slowly moving there and you are seeing we are seeing more and more things in mainstream media um which i think is a really important vessel um of you know having these you're creating this this catalyst change so i think i understand completely that in our communities um that there is this trauma that is not even underlying it's a big driver of of how they are how they show up in the world the things that they prioritize um i i also see that we tend you know this again goes back to my comment i'm not sure if i said this earlier but we need to focus on the problem and almost be solution agnostic you don't have your basic stuff at the bottom of the pyramid it's really hard to actually get to the self actualization at the top mm. um yeah is that kind of yeah absolutely i i love that it's a beautiful bridge into our next conversation too here which i think is really around you know when looking at our leadership journey uh and and staying really grounded in that problem what do you really see as a paradigm of leadership that is supportive for actually being solution agnostic i love your turn of phrase for that um you know what are the key pillars say so to speak of leadership in systems change or leadership for well-being in communities where we actually stay really grounded and connected with that problem would love to hear your views on that um and and also you know the other side of that what are you seeing are the biggest mistakes that are being made uh in that space of leadership Oh, that's a big question, Gemma. Um I think one for me personally, I feel that curiosity is really really important. Um because when you're curious, you're asking questions. And more importantly, you're listening for the answers that you're being given. So you're not just asking questions because you've got an answer or a preconception in your mind, but true curiosity comes from actually wanting to hear the answer and listening to understand um and i think that's you know that's something that um in a very noisy society maybe we don't do and i'm you know guilty of it as well i want to get my point across so you know you tend to do it sometimes you're like and i only have like 15 minutes so i actually kind of need to get this point across so i think curiosity um underpinning that's the listening and the the really listening and understanding um the um you know i think the ability to um disagree with each other um and still respect each other for our different points of view um is really important and i think um leaving our egos at the door is really important for being solution agnostic especially 
if you are the person who's come up with the idea or the solution, um, you're very emotionally involved and invested in it. And that's completely wonderful and understandable. Um, it takes a really courageous leader to go, actually, maybe the way that I conceived it is not going to solve that problem or the problem has evolved and we need to evolve with it. Um, it takes a real personal reckoning to do that. And we all don't like change. <laughs> We've evolved to not like change. Um, you know, we're comfortable. We like it when we're comfortable. So change throws us outside of our comfort zone. So I also understand that it can be a real journey for some and a real challenge for some. But I think if we can somehow, you know, somehow just 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 remain humble and always leave the door open for maybe that's not the right answer I think we'll go quite a bit further or we'll go quite a ways towards being solution agnostic it may transpire that that is the solution after all but it pays to periodically come back and review it and make sure that it's still fit for purpose it's still achieving the outcomes and the impact that we're setting out to or we set out to achieve at the start cool bananas <laughs> um it's interesting like um every time i sort of think about this the new realm of um or the new paradigm of leadership the more and more i think that um the modern or the western world is now uh embracing indigenous models um of leadership you know, like, um, just like T Tani has stated, they're like humility and um, the ability to be comfortable in one space and and um, also host um, rangatira tanga, but also having the ability to connect with everyone um, and also manaki people. So making sure that they're feeling their mana is enhanced while their the conversation or the the type of um, interactions that you're having as a leader um, with others that they people feel that they are of worth. So, you know, is that a new realm of leadership or a new paradigm? It's probably more of a, uh, a relook or a resetting of traditional models that are stood the test of time from centuries long ago right across the globe every indigenous culture across this world has similar models you know, like um and like um i think one of your questions you said uh, what are the key pillars for ourselves like for me um i'll take you on a bit of a story so you know we work in youth development and a few years ago working with a group of young people um, we came up with a set of values to help them navigate life that we as an organization have taken on board and I've taken on board personally as a way to look through a lens to ensure that I um, lead in a manner and, I'm, and it's still a work on I'm nowhere near perfect but it's um we use um five po and those po are manakitanga, matauranga, tikanga, whanangatanga with the ultimate goal of empowering rangatiratanga so um 
if if you weave through those words and those terms and what those values mean, well, every one of them, there's, there's a transitioning around doing things right, learning about oneself and others, connecting on a level that is respectful, but also um, akiaki, the mano of each other, with the ability that that person leaves with their mana in place, but also that they see themselves as being the chief of their own space. So um, to me, that's the ultimate of being a leader. And um, a few years ago, when these young people went through that process around understanding those concepts, they transitioned back to school and they came back and said, this is what helped us keep in school. We remembered those values and tried to work in a way to engage with um, their teachers and their peers in that manner using those um, values. So um, everything we do now, we look through a lens of that, of those five poses. So that's, I see as a, a pivotal for leadership um, and what we do. So, but I think it's transferable across anything you do really. Um, I think the other part of your question was, what are the negatives of it? Was that right? The biggest mistake? Um, probably, yeah, the, the good question, Gemma, because the reality is I had difficulty answering this one. Uh, and I think probably the biggest one would be, um, how do we transfer knowledge or matauranga and empowerment of leadership across those who we're tasked with developing? How do we transfer that um, um, basically, so that they um, grow and develop in a, in a manner that suits them, but also suits the kaupapa that we're doing. So I look at it through the lens of, uh, you know, those those five po, but also the whakatauki around pui puia te kākono kaupuawai. So if we nurture the seed, it will grow and blossom. So, um, yeah, so I think that's probably the, the biggest area of mistake around I see too many um well not I don't see too many but I think that's a fault in leadership if you're not developing people within your organization or, or whoever you're leading and guiding you should be developing them and helping them grow and flourish so yeah yeah wow what beautiful reflection sorry were you going to say something there Tanya yeah I was just going to add as well that I think um and I didn't really answer the question about the mistakes but I think one of the mistakes that I've seen is the unintended consequences of things. And to some extent, some of them are not predictable, um, but a lot of them are with the right engagement with the right people. Um, and that's where, you know, casting your net wide can actually be really helpful, seeking opinions from people who have very different lived experience, a very different experience. Um, of leadership, of work, of life from you can be quite helpful. And it ties in also with the, you know, the, the thing I said before about not being afraid of differences and not being afraid of, you know, I'm going to say conflict with like quotation, air quotation marks, but it's, um, I think the unintended consequences is really interesting because in my experience, a lot of the unintended consequences, somebody actually saw it and somebody somewhere might have said something but wasn't actually listened to. Um, so that's, you know, that's something that, um, yeah, if we're talking about mistakes around leadership, that's one of the things. And 
I think leadership requires courage and that could be a very quiet self internal type courage. Um, and it can also be an external speaking up courage. And I just think about, you know, just being in, you know, what, what it means to speak up for people who might be oppressed or, you know, if I'm, and I am sometimes the oppressed party as well, but what I wish people might have, you know, done in support of people like me. And I think it's, whilst I say we all need to be a bit more courageous, I also understand the circumstances that leads to an unsafe situation where people can't be as courageous as they'd like to be. So how do we, and that's a systemic issue. So how does the system come together to create that safety? Um, and I think there's, we're not doing that very well in some cases. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Really beautiful reflections. And I guess, you know, that's that actual and perceived power and how it's managed. And if there aren't effective mechanisms in place to be able to um, be courageous and speaking truth to where those unintended consequences have landed, that, that that can be really challenging, you know, become voiceless and without a choice in some circumstances. So, and, and I think I see the bridge there with this technology being like that, that it's kind of removed because it doesn't need to go through someone or someones who hold the power it's community-based and there's something really cool about that um certainly you know I'm a baby in this space and and I'm still googling every day to better understand <laughs> um but what I loved about your reflections with this leadership piece here in the new paradigm you know it's not that new indigenous cultures and ways of being have always been organized in a way that's good for the land and good for the people and um, I love that we've been able to kind of touch on that as well as look at those aspects of self-leadership or inner leadership how we have that connection with um, and understand our own ego and connection with and understand our authentic self our spirit and how that gets to come through um, as well as what it looks like on the outside, you know, as that's kind of embodied and expressed. Um, so I really appreciate you both sharing your worldviews around that. Um, I would love for us to slightly um, shift into, I guess, some of the key trends that you've been noticing within the leadership space in terms of systems change, in terms of well-being in communities. Okay. Um, must be me. Um, trends. I'm not a trendsetter or a trend follower. So the interesting thing about this is that, um, for me personally, if it if it more more if it aligns with me and my values and it feels right, then it's full steam ahead. So I'm I'm still grappling with this how it's linked with this cope up a little bit, but you know, like, um, yeah. So leadership trends. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's um, I me personally, I actually loathe being in the light, and um, I'm more comfortable um, doing the dishes and uh, with a tea towel in the kitchen than sitting on the pipeline. And that, but unfortunately, now these days, I have to grow in that. Uh, so I've got to be comfortable being uncomfortable in that uncomfort space around getting there and having to do it. You know, and for our organisation, essentially a Māori organisation, that um, 
there are certain protocols we have to lead and me being the head, I have to be on the pipi doing what I need to do to ensure that we sit within our tikanga po is upheld and all of that. So I do it and I will do it consistently until I uh, need to or until I grow the capacity in saying that I'm trying to grow others to be able to step into that space. But in, um, it's, a, it's a hard space that emerging trends, the uh, reality is, is that, I think I said it before, is that it, it goes in cycles and the emergence um, I see is probably more self-awareness and awareness around caring and looking after each other and caring and looking after your, your staff and those who work with you rather than for you. Um, so that's what I see um, consistently, but again, it, it harks back to um, traditional methods of looking after each other. So um, yeah, so that's where I see that. I think it's trends. so cool that you were like, you know, whatever to the emerging trends. And you just said, what are my values and how does it feel? Like, how do, how do we make that more of a thing? <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> it's, it's trusting your gut, I think. But, you know, the reality is, is that it served me well thus far. So that's okay, but you still got to have understanding and a lot of knowledge coming from all over the place around, okay, what's right and does it fit with that and how are people feeling and then getting as much information about what needs to be done, but then it needs to sit well and feel good to be able to move forward. And um, I still do all of that stuff or analyze things and make an informed judgment. Um, and it needs to sit well. I can still do all of that. And if it doesn't sit well, I won't go there. Um, so, yeah. I agree with you, with Pete, about the kind of move towards more caring, caring about, you know, people, um, caring about, um, yeah, each other, um, looking after each other. I think there's a lot more... When I kind of, you know, started my journey moving away from the private sector, I think, um, you know, empathy was something that wasn't really a buzzword. And you know when something becomes a bit mainstream is when it becomes a buzzword. And I think empathy and care is now, I'm hearing a lot of it at the forefront of leadership conversations around organisational development, around, you know, the employee experience or the people experience. Um, I'm also seeing lots of people looking for more meaning in life and work, especially work. Um, and because of COVID, the, um, we've moved away from a little bit, in some cases, in many cases, we've moved away from a world where work and life can be as easily separated because now we have more and more people working from home, working remotely. We have different ways of working now. Um, although some organizations and industries have gone back to kind of pre-COVID ways of working. Um, but we are seeing people looking for more meaning. So we hear a lot about the great resignation and what's behind all of that. People are looking for more purpose. Um, they also realize that it's you know, essentially for many industries, some industries are really struggling um, and have struggled, but for many industries, they're going through a huge transformation about how they work and what is the proposition for people coming to spend eight hours a day, five days a week with them, and sometimes more. 
Um, so I'm seeing some of those trends happening in the in the market at the moment or in the eco in the system that we're working in. Um, I'm also not really a, I don't really have my you know my finger on the pulse in terms of leadership trends. But the thing I would like to see, and I think this ties in quite nicely with what you were saying, um, Pete. I'd like to have more systems conversations, not just systems thinking, um, but systems conversation and systems practice, actually putting into practice some of the conversations that have been happening, happening around systems. I don't know. There's very few examples, especially in Aotearoa, where it's um, happening successfully. Um, I'd love for people to break down those barriers, be it organizational or personal or environmental barriers, and actually come together and figure out what the shared kaupapa or shared outcomes we're trying to achieve. Leave aside initially your role, but what is it, what does success look like for us? And then um, seed into the discussion of what can we bring in terms of our role, our organization's role. Um, and the other two themes is, um, I'd love to, and I think we are moving towards a more collective approach. We're seeing more and more discussions around even things like having co-CEOs or job sharing. You know, those are this really tangible mainstream examples of collectivism that previously um, weren't at the forefront of the discussion. And the last thing, um, the, the word that's popped into my head, Pete, as you were talking about, you know, um, te ao Māori ways of working and being is re-indigenization. So we talk a lot about decolonization, which is about breaking down structures. Um, and I say, we talk a lot about this, I've talked, but actually re-indigenization goes a bit further than that. Um, it's not just about breaking down structures, but it's then um, healing and moving towards um, indigenous practices, cultures and customs um, that, um, yeah, that we haven't been part of the, you know, have not been allowed to be part of the mainstream for, for many, many years, many decades, many hundreds of years. Yeah, wow. So that honouring and acknowledging the decolonization work alongside the re-indigenization work. Yeah. Oh, definitely. It's funny you say that, Tanya. Like, I'll give you a nice practical example, which is, it's funny. I think it's funny, but it's also interesting is that we have karakia a certain time every day. So to start the day for everyone who's in the office, 8.30. And so now staff said it as, oh, I've got to be there by karakia rather than be there for work. It's, <laughs> it's because, you know, you stand around like, who's not here? You go, oh, okay. And the next minute you're getting texts, oh, sorry, I'm late. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't come during karakia. <laughs> yeah, don't come during, come before or come after. So otherwise you get put on the spot and like, you're doing karakia, so. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's good stuff. Right, yeah, such a rich conversation um, that we're having here and just really acknowledging that. And I think um, the next space I'd love to explore, you know, as we look at some of the drivers behind our own personal why and our values, and I'd be curious to see what you see are like the key ingredients. Like, could you make a recipe and um, put together some, some key things that we need to be talking about when it comes to supporting communities to be self-determining, empowering rangatiratanga and disempowering dependency on the state and just exploring what is the kind of infrastructure that's required for that. 
um, and in terms of leadership, you know, how, how do you see um, leadership evolving in order to be able to actualize that aspiration? Great question, Gemma. It's, uh, <laughs> you've got to think about it quite intently around it. And like the interesting thing is, is that when I thought about this question was that it took me on a bit of a journey in my mind. And, you know, you think about the discussions we've been having today and about people in survival mode and all, all of them with chaos going on in their lives and how potentially this technology can assist them to uh, move from survival to living to thriving, that um, I think it starts with, you know, the, the infrastructure really is how do we um, encourage um, the individual, which moves away from the collective, individual and hosting some belief, some self-belief that they can do this. Um, that they host the belief to control their own destiny. Um, you know, that's that to me, you know, is the essence of hosting rangatiratanga. So if they have that host belief that they have the skills and the ability, the want, the will, the discipline, and the knowledge to move in whatever direction they want to, that then they can start controlling whatever goes on around them and for them. And then they end up hosting rangatiratanga. You know, the, the impacts of colonization and just the modern world these days, everything's separated from having self-belief. We don't believe in ourselves much. We're wanting, looking out for the next thing. Well, actually, the answers lie within. And if we can enhance that and grow that, that means then we can actually be the chiefs in our own space and be the rangatira that you were born to be. And, you know, um, I think this is the hardest thing to do, but hosting belief in oneself is, you know, if you can do that, you can change the world, you know, and it starts from one, it starts from you. So, you know, what's the infrastructure required for that? Well, I've got a big question mark around that one, but actually it's, it's around how do we encourage the self-belief into one rather than going on to an app or the media or social media to get the answers? Well, the answers are within, and then all, so are all of the faults. But then, if you if you understand them and have awareness of them, and you have discipline to be able to negate the faults and grow the strengths, then potentially you can do anything. So, um, yeah, what's the infrastructure for that? Um, okay, well, I'll sit in Takori around that space. <laughs> what the infrastructure is, is for that? So, yeah. Oh my gosh! Like. You know the truth by the way it feels, right? And I'm just like, oh, everywhere. I was like, oh my God, that is it. And it so resonates. Like in particular now with my work as a trauma recovery coach, what, what we're doing um, in community. So I run a group program in community is like, how do you find your voice in areas where you've been voiceless and that voice has been taken away? And where do you get to discover choices that you get to make in your life and feel empowered to actually make them in accordance with what feels true, good and right for you? And 
really acknowledging the disconnect that's taken place as a result of stress and trauma from your authentic self and from the present moment and how to restore the mind-body connection so that you can explore what feels true, good and right for you because you're actually here in the present and you're connected back into your authenticity. And so as you share all that, I'm just like, oh my gosh, I've been doing some study recently on internal family systems, which is a psychotherapy. There's a wonderful book by Richard Schwartz called No Bad Parts. And the book basically says that there are so many aspects of the psyche. And um, for a lot of us, we create adaptions or parts that are keeping us safe. And there's actually a part behind that part that it's protecting. And so if we can view people as um, whole beings with many parts that aren't bad, what does it look like to create the safety for those aspects to be seen, heard and understood? And then what does that do for the harmony of who you be and reconstructing that connection back to the authentic self? And like, I feel like the biggest geek and nerd in this world right now. Like I'm like down all these rabbit holes learning about this stuff, but I just loved your share, Pete. Thank you. But yeah, that was really cool. <laughs> I don't really have anything to add. I love what you said, Pete, about self-belief. So much is constructed for us to not believe in ourselves. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not, like I said, I'm not sure that there's just one answer. Um, but I love what you've talked about there, Pete, because it is about the impact. It's about the outcome, the thing that comes out at the very, very end or towards the very end after we've had different solutions or interventions whatever you want to call it um it's the thing that comes out yeah comes out later on and I love how you've described it it's that self-belief it's that ability to think that you know you can achieve anything well you, you think about our program you know I, I think about this consistently and see I've the interesting thing is that I've I've termed the ministry of education Moi. they're asleep they don't inspire, they don't spark curiosity. And so what I see from a, not all young people, but a lot of young people that we're dealing with and working with, they've been spat out of an education system that I think really should be sowing a seed around how great they are and what they can learn. Mm. There is so much, you know, you know, every now and then I get an opportunity to travel overseas to third world countries and you go to countries that some villages sponsor one child to break poverty, to send them away to school, to get an education so they can potentially help support their whānau. Now, here we have education that's easily available, but yet it fails to inspire every young person. Unless you're well-resourced and supported by whānau, you get a leg up. Some young people aren't. And they see education as being, you know, like even their whānau, their parents, their grandparents have had a bad experience of education. So then all of a sudden they don't engage with it. And then they are stuck in survival mode because of it. So to me, we need to inspire that. And inspiring that is actually basically hosting so that they have self-belief and then potentially, you know, I work with some young people and I'm, I'm not doing as much face-to-face with young people these days, but 
I, I do a bit of coaching and what I consistently work with those young people about is that you are a chief in your own space and consistently try to empower them about you descend from basically the stars and you are a star and one day you return to those stars and then you know and then but while you're here shine the brightest light you can and stuff like that and it's like but the problem is is that some some people think you're being loopy about talking like that well actually you should be trying to every every conversation we should be having with a young mind should be around that you can do anything and 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 we're the reasons why humanity is on the top of the food chain is that we have the ability to do whatever we want if we can so that's i don't know i'm i'm over the the system as it is that's why i'm interested in this system let's shake it up let's change it yeah, yeah. i was reflecting on something you both said as well that you've touched on and also thanks for the book recommendation Gemma. i'm going to be looking <laughs> it up because just just kind of yeah just I feel a little bit that sometimes we target solutions towards the wrong place. So we've talked about internal, was it internal family systems, I think you said, and Pete, you've talked about young people in the Fano and stuff like that, but um, and the Ministry of Education and you know all that sort of stuff. But I think that traditionally, and I don't know, you know, my my experience of um, my experience of the New Zealand Aotearoa system is quite limited, but I feel that perhaps historically some of the um, interventions, especially government interventions, have been targeted at, say, children or young people without taking into consideration the system that they live in and come from. So, um, you know, we talk, you know, we are social creatures. Um, we kind of live in packs and your social structures are some of the best protective factors around you know toxic stress and um all those sorts of things so how do we i think the, the question that i'm curious about is how do we fine tune and sometimes completely repivot some of the interventions and i'll call it interventions um or the solutions towards um, the system that surrounds the thing or person that we're trying to help. And I see that shifting a little bit. I do see that there are programs out there that are looking at, you know, whānau systems or family systems um, and not just, you know, a child or a rangatahi. It's um, become a lot more holistic and we've got a long way to go, but we are seeing some of those shifts. Um, so I just wanted to talk, talk about what both of you have said because that's crystallizing a few things in my mind as well. So thanks for that. Fano order. Fano order. Yeah, that's so cool. I love that. But yeah, so many bridges are being built for me as well in this conversation. It's like a real mind massage. Um, I've got one last question. One last Wait, question. A mind massage. A mind massage. Mind <laughs> massage. <laughs> Um, I know we're coming to the end of our time here. So the last piece I just wanted to touch on um, was as leaders, how do we manage our actual and perceived power? And what is good self-governance in these spaces? And I guess this kind of links to the other piece here, which is how do we navigate our privilege and decenter our helping in service to community? 
And I guess I speak, I'm curious to explore this because um, I think we have really good intentions being in charity or philanthropy or community-led development or whatever spaces we get to be in. Um, and I think what I've noticed over, over time is without that cultivation of that self-awareness, um, without understanding how colonization plays out in that giving space, um, we can be actually causing more harm than good in the long run and actually centering ourselves as the hero in the story. Um, and so, you know, really curious to explore what your views are and how we um, decenter the teacher, decenter the decenter the whatever, um, just decenter the leader, decenter the giving, decenter the, the individual that is part of the solution. Um, uh, and yeah, just curious to hear your thoughts around that. You go, Tanya. You go first. Oh, they're such big questions, Gemma. Uh, <laughs> I, I think I will probably only succeed in answering part of it as, uh, <laughs> as I've been doing. Um, look, you know, I make mistakes all the time. Um, a lot of us do. And, you know, the only, and, and, it is with the grace and the forgiveness of many people that I work with and deal with that I am able to learn from those mistakes. And that sometimes takes the form of either they will tell me straight to my face that I did something that really was not, you know, not, um, not cool. Um, but I think having, you know, you've touched on it already, having self-awareness, having a mirror that you can hold up to yourself and the humility to go, actually that went, you know that didn't go so well what can i what can i do differently next time without jeopardizing your self-belief um, because sometimes we can be so self-deprecating that we forget the good things so actually being really balanced in how we see ourselves is really important but that can also be quite distorted sometimes so actually having a, a community of people around you who you trust enough um to for them to tr tell you the truth is really important we don't live in a vacuum no man or woman or person is an island um you know so we need that community around us to hold that mirror up to uh, to be that mirror not just hold the mirror up we're going to hold the mirror up to ourselves but they need to be that mirror for us sometimes as well and it sucks to hear um the um less than great you know feedback but i think that's that's just really important um the, i think the question around how do we navigate our privilege reality is is that i was struggling with this question too like all of your questions you were like being like have, i've had to do a mind massage myself <laughs> but um it was great it was great because the dug deep the interesting thing about it too is um and alongside what Tony is saying, awareness of privilege, you know, like I know for me, I see this every day. I have, I host privilege and I host privilege because the communities that I walk in and work in and I've been provided access because I lived there, I grew up there. So that's been great. And so I have that connection. But the privilege that I host was that um, I was brought up by in a state home, working class whanau, my family, my mum and dad cared for us, loved us, cared for us, and did the best they could do for us. 
and so I think that provided me with some privilege of being safe, cared for, and loved. And gave me a good opportunity to be able to grow and develop and do and have some, some self-belief that I could do anything I wanted to do. Now, what I see every day is that I come across rangatahi and whānau where things have been, whether it's the system or what they've been involved with is, is actually smashed and impacted on them that you don't see any hope or they don't see any hope. And that that hurts me and it hurts me in a way deep that I go what has gone wrong and and so I'm aware of that privilege and I walk into a room and people go oh he's Pete or Duh, you know and they go oh, sort of thing like that and I'm like as I said to you I'd rather sit in the corner and observe or grab a tea towel rather than that but I've had to grow into that space but it's 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 difficult and it's difficult because um, understanding that, but over time, I've got awareness of it, and and as Tanya has said, and, and both of you have said before is in this conversation, is that hosting the humility to be able to, oh yeah, I'm the boss, blah, 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 but come down and go, I'm one of you guys, and I care for you, and I love you as much as my own whanau, and we're all in this together, and having awareness around that has been has helped me adapt to those situations. So, um, yeah, self-awareness, really, it's, it's a biggie, yeah. We did it. That was huge. And I really want to say thank you so much for creating space to go deep and for sharing your real truths um, and for being okay with, like, not fully knowing and like just sharing what's alive right now rather than needing to have it all perfect and I think that's a really great reflection of your leadership style um, and I think it creates an invitation for others to be um, okay as they are figuring out what leadership looks like and sounds like for them so thank you for your vulnerability today that is the end of this episode so thank you so much for everyone who's tuned in if you want to connect with Pete and Tanya I will leave something in the show notes for you so that you can follow up um, and as always if you have heard something today that is like wow that feels like um, an invitation to practice something new I really want to invite you to take a moment and jot that down on a journal, put it on a post-it note and see if you can take inspiration and turn it into action. If you move on to the next podcast, the next self-help book, the next retreat, the next workshop without actually applying and integrating what you've already discovered here, it's a missed opportunity. So invitation now to make that happen, turn that inspiration into action and see if you can shift the ways that you relate with your inner world and your outer world. Thanks so much for tuning in. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. I want to invite you to stop what you're doing right now and really reflect on what's landed for you in this episode. What was your aha moment? Write that down and turn it into an actionable goal for you to shift your reality. Inspiration without action leaves you where you were before this episode. So gift yourself this moment for change. If you've enjoyed the episode, please review the podcast. It really helps us grow the reach. Hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. And if you have a topic you'd like to hear more about, 
please slide into my DMs on Instagram at the underscore Gemma underscore Rose. See you next time. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition.